The Law Report with Karen Key. And a very good evening to you from tonight's Law Report program. Well, as you know, once a month here on the Law Report, we run a legal clinic trying to answer a range of questions on a number of different topics. And tonight, being the second Monday of the month, it's again time to open the lines for you to ask that legal question that doesn't quite fit into the other topics we discuss here on the Law Report. And before we begin, just a reminder that there's a list of available documents on the Facebook page, Law on SAFM. If you'd like any of them, post a message on Facebook. But please do remember to include your email address or if you don't have access to Facebook you can email me on law at safm.co.za and I can send you a copy of the list so you can choose what you want and if you would mind just being patient for me to send you that because every time I get back to my office the power's out. So as soon as the power comes back on, I will start sending those out. But I always seem to miss it. I'm either not there when it's off or on or anyway, bit of a nightmare. Well, I'm joined once again this evening by attorney Nicolene Skuman Lowe, and she's a director of Skuman Inc. Attorneys, Conveyances and Notaries Public. Nicolene, welcome back to the show. It just seems like you were here yesterday. Oh, thank you for having me. It does, hey? It, always, it just goes by so fast. <laughs> well, if you have any questions for us, you can call us now on 0892 2010 We just have a couple of emails that we just need to get through quickly. But if you want to call in in the meantime, you can call in, leave your name and number with my producer, and we'll call you back as soon as we're done with these emails. And as I said, there are just a few of them, so we won't be very long. The first one is from Costa, who says... Um, a question, does an attorney who opens up his own practice as a sole practitioner with no employees working for him have to appoint both a compliance officer and money laundering control officer in order to comply with the FICA Act? Well, um, all attorneys are, uh, such as the financial institutions, accountable institutions in terms of the uh, the FICA law, or uh, FIC Act, if one wants to be exactly correct about um, the abbreviation. And um, that means if you're a sole practitioner, unfortunately, you have to comply with the provisions, which means um, you will be the office bearer of all the different um, role players in terms of the Act. So, in short, yes, you have to appoint that, and, and, and it makes... Um, in, in that instance, you are simply the only person fulfilling all those roles. So it doesn't matter that there are no other employees. Un- you then, unfortunately, have to be everything. Unfortunately yeah. not. But everyone starts somewhere, you know. And um, on that note, also the law societies do publish these guidelines, or at least the Cape Law Society has, um, wherein they, they guide you in a very step-by-step way in, in which to establish your internal rules. All attorneys have to have a body of internal rules which appoints all these role players and it also directs the the record collection the fika collection the fika storage uh, the fika archival all sorts of things so i would recommend to to this practitioner i presume um to to have a look at the the law society website and also the fic has a very useful website so all the um, help is out all there. the help is out there and they've got these guidelines that you can uh, apply quite easily to to make the transition uh, as simple as it is possible. Okay, because it sounds a bit complicated, but apparently <laughs> there is help out there, so it needn't be as, <laughs> as dire as possibly it sounded in the beginning. Right, we have an email from Jacques who says, if a block of flats say in a notice that they are not liable for any loss or damage which occurs in the premises, does such a denial of liability stand in law? 
Well, that's always been a very interesting question, especially at shopping centers as well, where you also see those signs being put up in the parking garages, for example, and then your car gets broken into or whatever the, the case may be. Unfortunately, those signs do not exclude all forms of liability. Um, if there's an element of negligence, um, for example, if security is to be provided and there was a breach of the security in this parking lot, for example, or someone willfully caused damage, then of course it won't necessarily just exclude the liability. But your your starting point is always to identify where the fault lies. Who caused the damage? Is it a co-owner Is uh, that you could potentially um, pursue uh, privately? Or is it someone that is maybe an employee of the body corporate? And so on. So it, it really does need more unpacking before one can give a definite answer. But generally speaking, those are not a, a brush to, to say nothing that goes wrong here is liability-free. So they can't say, well, there is the notice so tough. No, not, um, not in all circumstances. But in some they might. In some they might, okay. of course. If it's just one of those things that happened and no one willfully um, caused the wrongdoing or the damage, then, then of course, it's parking at own risk, you know? Yes. For right. Example. Okay. Um, we have a very long email here. Of, well, hang on. We'll get to that one in a moment. It's one here from Sia says, can a minor under 18 years sue and be sued? What is the procedure? Well, this was quite an interesting question, I must say, when I received the email from you in preparation. And um, I, my initial thoughts were that the Children's Act, which was fairly recently promulgated, would have changed the common law position. And the common law position essentially always drew a distinction between very young children and children over the age of seven, but under the age of, of 21, previously now 18. So in that gap, you, you don't have locus standi in order to go to court. You don't have the access to go to court on your own behalf to sue or to defend yourself, in other words, to be sued. You need the assistance of predominantly your guardian, your legal guardian, which is usually a parent or an appointed or adopted parent, or in some instances, even a curator. So in the case where a minor doesn't have access to someone who would assist them because essentially they have to be represented or assisted. Um, they, they can approach the High Court. The High Court is still the upper guardian of all minors and make application for a curator to assist them to be sued or to sue. So they can be sued and they can sue, but they need to do it with the assistance of they need to be represented, yeah. in other words. Fairly along the same lines as an attorney would represent a client. And not quite the same, but just by means of, of easy correlation. So it is possible. Right. And then we've got what steps to – this is from Kira Petsy says, uh, what steps to take because my girlfriend is restricting me from seeing my daughter? Well, that's a family court matter. And um, – of course, there, there may be a maintenance issue. We often see, even though there's no real correlation between access and maintenance, we often see people using um, the lack of paying maintenance or them feeling maintenance is not being provided on a sufficient level or whatever have you. They use often use financial reasons for restricting access. And although that's not quite connected to one another and should not on all accounts really be allowed, then in practice we often see that happening. But 
what what the the listener should ideally do is to approach the family court. You don't have to have an attorney in doing so, but it's always preferable, especially because these kind of matters tend to get quite messy, um, for lack of a better phrase, and um, for for them to really assist them. And um, to to then get a court order which regulates your access and the family advocate may also be called for involvement and it, it may become a quite long and drawn out process but once you have your court order which clearly outlines when you're allowed to to see and have access to to your your child uh, i think this this would be a very good way forward great so there's there, there is no reason that she should be allowed to deny him access to his child. No. Similarly, if um, usually in divorce proceedings, of course, uh, the court would make a ruling as to the children in respect of both their maintenance and access to them, custody and access. And obviously, if there has no divorce proceeding has occurred, it's sort of, in most instances, a, a bit of a gentleman's agreement, if that, between the, the two parents in regards to access. Rarely do these things really go to court. Um, it's and in instances like this, it's a real pity because there is no boundary, no framework that has been set in respect of access. So the only way you can create that is to approach court, the family court, and to to get a ruling in regards to that. And I would recommend that that it is done with the assistance of an attorney, so that it could be done as as quickly as possible. Otherwise, these things tend to be very drawn out and very traumatic on all concerned. Right. And then we had a rather long email from Paul. He says, um, could you advise regarding my current rights working for a company that's currently under business rescue? The company I'm with was granted business rescue status at the end of August this year. Prior to this, we had not yet been paid for July and payment for August appeared at risk. Due to the above, I approached the Department of Labor, who informed me that as the company was a member of MIBCO, I would have to take my complaint to them. This I did, and the MIBCO representative stated that they received a verbal undertaking that the July salary would be paid out and that the August one would be paid by not later than mid-September. Due to business rescue being declared at the end of August, I was then informed by the the company that monies owing for August would be frozen and in the case of liquidation I would be treated as a preferred creditor. My question is that given that the company prior to Business Rescue had already broken the law by not paying and Mibco acting on my complaint has received a verbal, verbal agreement to pay, why should I and the other employees have monies due frozen? While it's Whilst it appears preferred creditor doesn't mean much for employees if the company is wound up, other creditors, for example suppliers, are able to offset their losses against profits made or write-offs against tax. As a salary earner, I have no recourse. Given that the company's actions, i.e. not paying salaries on time, were illegal prior to the business rescue, can I still not pursue this claim for full payment? Well, I think there are a number of elements involved here, and one very clear element involved here is the aspect of our labor law, um, of which I'm I'm not an expert. Um, so I'll I'll attempt to to. Yeah, I actually showed this to Michael Bagram last week, and he said he he doesn't know much about business rescue, okay, so well, that's why I, I said I can, maybe Nicolene could help. <laughs> well, I can I can fill in uh, some of of the information when it comes to the business rescue and the, the distinction between that and liquidation. Mm. Um, but as for for um, the labor side at this point, um, I have no doubt that if a salary hasn't been paid and an undertaking has 
has been given that um, one could again approach the bargaining council for recourse um, from that side. And and I'm saying that so that it can have a multifaceted solution. A solution. It's a labor law matter involving uh, a an employment relationship and surely no employee is expected to render services at no remuneration or at uncertainty, especially in the climate that we are working in at the moment. So from that perspective, I, I do think one should investigate that and unpack that maybe when, when Michael is back from the labor law perspective. Um, as for business rescue, Business rescue is a fairly new animal in, in our law. Um, it was enacted together with the New Companies Act. And um, unfortunately, we haven't seen a lot of case law around how it unfolds. Many business rescue um, applications have been brought to court or businesses have gone into business rescue. Some of those plans have simply not materialized or some of those applications have simply not been granted. So we've seen a lot of movement towards it, but nothing has really been fully unfolded. A, a handful only has really fully unfolded, some of which have been successful and some of which have been Nothing, nothing other than a stepping stone into liquidation, for lack of, of a better explanation. Now, business rescue is the replacement for what we used to know as judicial management. It's purportedly less invasive um, than its predecessor from, from the company's perspective, and it's aimed at really uh, fixing the hole in the sinking ship and to, to get the business back on track. And whether or not that has really shown success, I, at this point, I think we have too little information in terms of development in order to um, meaningfully um, contribute and meaningfully predict to the listener whether or not these initiatives actually preclude or prevent liquidation. Being well, he says here that he was due to a business rescue being declared at the end of August. Mm. He was informed that money's owing could be frozen. And then he says, and in the case of liquidation, I would be treated as a preferred creditor. So yes. they're obviously already looking at the possibility of now, this of course, liquidation. And, you know, if you if you watch the press, people, um, many writers are actually um, calling business rescue uh, just yet another burden um, and yet another creditor that gets created in, in an inevitable liquidation. So there's a lot of negative press out there about the regime, but um, it's, it's really supposed to turn things around. And when that happens, there's a period of so usually six months, sometimes longer, where all the claims of creditors are put under a moratorium. So it's not technically correct to say that everything gets frozen. Your creditors cannot lay claim your suppliers cannot demand payment, your mortgages, all of those things are essentially frozen in time. And there was a question and a comment that just came in on somebody called in and said, sometimes it seems as if companies go into business rescue just to get time to remove the assets from the company. Is this possible? Unfortunately, um, we that's that's what I meant by by saying that there's a lot polite. of bad <laughs> there was a lot of bad press going around and, yeah. and that it it's just um, some writers are calling it a, a, a money making scheme for business rescue practitioners, um, for companies to collude with them. Um, 
for liquidators to become business uh, rescue practitioners. This sounds very promising. And to get the fees for doing that, and then also to do the liquidation and get more fees for that. So overall, it's it's not a very well received regime, but it has shown great success in quite a few cases, a handful of them. And that, and I think one needs to just balance the two. If it's done the way it was intended, it it can obviously turn things around. But the fact is, for a period of six months, you get a payment break um, from your creditors as a business. You you don't freeze all your assets and so on in the sense that you but cannot pay your But then why have they, they frozen their salaries? They were told that their salaries were frozen. Section 136 of the Companies Act regulates um, the payments uh, to, to specifically your employees. And they are... Um, on the list of preferential creditors, but they're not very high up on the list. So their salary that they're being owed for two months, what happens? That that can, in effect, be telling me that is they can freeze it. Well, well, if, in, in effect, in effect, practically speaking, if your business goes into business rescue, the test is that it it can foresee that it's not going to be able to pay its creditors. That's the test. Of course, I'm oversimplifying the test now, but it's a uh, if, if you have a cash flow problem, essentially, and you can see that you will not reasonably be able to meet all your creditors and their obligations, then you can make application or go into business rescue. So it's not a case of a liquidation where your liabilities have exceeded your assets. So it's not quite as bad as that yet. But you have, for, for lack of a, a better term to describe why you are in business rescue, you have a major cash flow problem in your business. So in 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 the case that you're not paying your employees, um, they simply may not be cash to do so. But the, the, you mentioned right at the very beginning the fact that they were given a verbal agreement to pay. No, um, I think the, the You said they should go to the bargaining council. Of course, and, yeah. and at least get something in writing better than a, a verbal. verbal agreement, mm. specifically because the August salary, fair enough, is involved in the business rescue process and of course we can we can unpack that and you can see what the plans are and all the documents that that are being considered to try and turn this around and then you can more accurately say to the listener what what the likelihood is of the payment being forthcoming and when it would be forthcoming but as for the july um salary that has not to this been paid and to this account not yet been paid that of course in my view falls very much out of the business rescue process and even if there is a cash flow issue then technically speaking from a legal perspective it's a separate issue to the issues involved in the business rescue now your employees are on the list of preferential creditors in terms of section 136 of the Companies Act, which regulates the business rescue uh, the business rescue process. And of course, yes, if you're a, uh, if the business ends up being liquidated, you are amongst others with SARS also a preferential creditor. But by the time it gets to liquidation, we all know that all the assets must first be made into cash. And then it gets equally distributed, obviously, first to the preference creditors and then to everyone else standing in line. So you may wait. Practically speaking, if the cash flow issue is going to lead to liquidation, and I see a clear golden thread of it leaning towards that in this correspondence, then the listener must really 
really be open to to the idea as unpleasant as it may seem that he's going to be waiting for a very long time for that salary but the july one he can fight for because but this that's july fell one without the rest, yes and the verbal agreement thing he can actually still take that up with the bargaining council of course of course so he and does I, have some recourse here but i do think you need to start thinking of of a plan b Right, and then we we're not going to be. We've got an email here from Mama Salo. It's it's all about uh, p- terrible problems having with Department of Home Affairs trying to get some access. To, the, the son apparently was left some money by his father for an education policy. He wasn't able to use the money to complete his education because she couldn't get birth and death certificates from Home Affairs, and this has been going on since 2012. I mean, that's when she first applied in mm. 28th of March 2012. No, of course. I mean, and there's list, literally a list here of dates and times, who was spoken to, the length of the of the phone call, what was told, case numbers. I mean, it d- looks like an absolute nightmare. I saw that email. It's absolutely shocking. Um, of course, it would seem that every internal, She's done amicable everything. avenue has been exhausted. There's, there's a piece of legislation that really works hand-in-hand hand with our constitution, the promotion of, of fair administrative justice, and um, that piece of legislation can really be used to, to her advantage. Um, and then, of course, you'll need to appoint yourself an attorney and probably go to the High Court to get an order to compel them to issue those certificates. I mean, it's insane. I mean, the whole thing is ridiculous. And to claim costs. But, you know, uh, the minute you issue summons against a government department, automatically they get longer time to respond to each and every allegation. And and I think there's urgency here, or there may definitely be, and um, maybe she can expedite the, the application process. But it needs process. to actually be dealt with personally with her and an attorney. And I would recommend that you start that process in January. Uh, the courts are all in recess now, so you you won't have any matters heard before sadly, the she says, season is uh, over. Sadly, she says, I hope you will find it in yourselves to resolve this matter. I would love to be able to resolve this yeah. matter, but unfortunately, we don't have that sort of power. Unfortunately, unfortunately not. not. And, and, you know, if, if uh, getting legal counsel is an issue, there's obviously the Law Society and the Bar Council that can be uh, approached for a pro bono matter and um, hopefully hopefully she can resolve it that way. Right. Uh, if you wanted to call us, we're going to be taking calls now. If you have some questions, the number to dial 0892-102010, 0892-102010. Our first call is Joseph in Worcester. Joseph, good evening. Good evening, ladies. Uh, thanks for taking my call. Pleasure. How can we help you, Joseph? Karen, I'm phoning on behalf of a friend of mine. Uh, he bought a house to someone else. What happened is this person sold the house to, to another person. And eventually what my friend did, he went to his lawyers and they went to to, to court. Mm-hmm. Long story short is they win the case. The lawyers, my friend's lawyers, they charged him a, a certain amount which he paid up. It was uh, decided in court that this person should pay uh, back the money, a thousand rent a month. And he was supposed to start in September 2011. Seven months down the line, my friend saw on, on his bank statements that there's no money being de- deposited into his account. Now, what the person uh, was supposed to do is uh, was supposed to pay it to the lawyers, and the lawyers should pay it to, to my friend's account. Went to them and asked, uh, listen, I haven't seen any money forthcoming. Uh, they check on the system. Now, they actually said that uh, he pays, uh, still owes them for the, 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 the work which they had done. 
said, no, but uh, I have the receipts and everything. They looked into the system and they saw no, that he did pay in full. So they said, okay, Mr. Whoever you want his name, I don't want to mention his name. Mm-hmm. He did pay in full. And when he asked him, but what about the seven months, which means it's 7,000, they said that uh, he can't get that back. Now he wants to know what should he do. Of course, he paid 30,000 already. And the 7,000, which was supposed to be in, quote, in his uh, account, they, the guy did pay it, but he, they never put it in his account. What, what should he do? Oh, my. This, this sounds like um, quite a challenge. Uh, attorneys who collect uh, monies on behalf of clients collected in their trust account. And that okay. trust account is, is a special um, current account, a special checking account. And it's regulated by law. In other words, the money that you collect into your trust account is not your money. It's not the, the lawyer's business's money. It's the client's money. So... And they get audited every every year, and you have to submit your audit report and all of that. So they, what I'm trying to tell you is that there's a paper trail and there is some regulation when you accept money on behalf of a client. But it sounds almost it like... It can't a, just go into Well, nowhere. I'm saying maybe it didn't go into the trust account. Because, I mean, this was in 2011. They we would have been audited not. by now. I yes. mean, this would have come up, surely. Well, um, if you're just keeping it in your trust account then and you haven't taken it out unlawfully, then it won't be picked up in your your audit report but, but, but what happened so, after the seven months the, the the money was paid in subsequently in his account but the, the, okay. the seven months is short are they short so, he's, seven he's, months he's are short okay. seven thousand which is short but when he, he asked them for that seven thousand what can they give you this money back because he paid him in full they said no they can't no, no, that's, that's that? absolutely not correct. I, I would recommend that he takes um, all these statements and that he approaches the attorney amicably one more time, um, even if it means that he appoints a new one to uh-huh. just try and resolve it quickly. If that uh-huh. fails, then he can go to the Law Society and they can actually request a taxation of uh, the matter and request that the attorney also gives them records from their side and they can do a call it an account reconciliation to to um, determine where the money has gone and then to mm. to do a refund although it happened in 2011 it's still it's still a problem uh, you, you see if, if the matter is still open then then yes you may but if if they can prove that there was a lawful account and all of that, then uh-huh. it may have it may one will have to check the numbers in order for me to tell you if he's going to be able to claim. And the he's money still got back bank so accounts from back then, your friend. Yes, he still does have that. Okay, well then you can prove it never pitched up in the bank account. Yes, yes but you'll have someone will have to sit and the receipts which he paid them. Mm. They gave him receipts and everything. Yeah, no, to, they to, have to, to, to yes. confirm that they did pay them in full what they have charged him. No, that that they that they definitely have to render receipt for it, every cent that they receive. Mm-hmm. So I would suggest before taking the matter further that he really checks every statement of account that he ever received from the attorneys mm-hmm. against um, then all the monies that he was uh, uh, that he was supposed to receive from this other person, just to make sure that everything has. Um, adds up correctly and if they, they if they owe a refund then they should uh, should pay out that refund however you know it's been three more than three years um, we are leaning towards a potential prescription of the debt but I think it's nonetheless worth a try
7,000 rand is a lot of money. And there are structures like the small claims court that one could also approach if you want to go down that route. Um, But of course, I would rather recommend that you take it to the law society first um, and that they just check that all the accounting has been done correctly. And maybe even though it's such an old matter, they would be able to assist, but maybe not, you know, maybe your friend has waited a little bit too long. Too long. Mm. Okay. I just wanted to, to, to thank Karen. They are busy with my provident fund issue. Thanks a lot. Oh, eh? well, that's great. How's it, how's it going, though? They are busy uh, sorting it out. So I want to thank you and, and, and Michael for that. Oh, that's a pleasure, Joseph. I'm glad it's being sorted out. That's wonderful news. That's oh, great. <laughs> Thanks, Karen. Thanks, eh? and have a wonderful festive okay. season. Uh, same to you guys. Thanks, take Joseph. Care. Good night. Okay. Bye-bye. Yeah. And just to let you know that um, from next week, I will be on leave. So there will be shows on, but it's going to be the best of. So it's going to be all the highlights of the show from the, throughout the year. So this week is my last week. And then from next week, I will be on leave. Right. I'm Lumley in Free State. Good evening. Uh, good evening, Karen. Hello. How are you? Thank you. How are you? I'm okay, Karen, man. Uh, Karen, my question relates to divorce, really. Mm-hmm. Uh, I separated with my, my wife, I think it's two months ago, with the intention to divorce ultimately. Now, before, when we, I communicated the message of a divorce, we had made an agreement that we would go to one lawyer. Uh, mm-hmm. in which case the, the lawyer would facilitate the divorce process. Now, what I want to understand from your guest, one, is that uh, how long will the process take uh, Take uh, if we go to one lawyer? Uh, secondly, we're married in community of property. We didn't have kids in the marriage, and we're staying at my home. Uh, now, I understand that because it was in community of property, uh, she'll get 50% of the estate, mm-hmm. uh, which is mainly pensions. But what I want your guest to clarify me on is what the law says with regard to things like your investment policies. Mm-hmm. Yes, okay. Karen. Right, Okay, well, uh, uh, uncontested divorce or unopposed divorce, as we call it in South Africa, is generally much quicker than, of course, an opposed one. An opposed divorce can take years. Similarly, if the persons don't cooperate, the two parties don't sign the documents when they're supposed to sign it and so on, it can also drag on even if it's an unopposed matter. In other words, even if it's agreeable that um, that you agree upon the, uh, the terms and conditions of your divorce. And these attorneys, have, if they manage the process correctly and if both parties sign the documents when they're supposed to sign them and everyone gives their full cooperation, you could ideally be done and dusted in six to eight months. Now, how, what is the advantage or disadvantage of just using one attorney? One attorney, um, you know, there's always an element of conflict of interest. The attorney should not advise you separately. Um, that You should be with the attorney jointly if you just want someone to draw up the paperwork and and to put it into legal terms. Um, Of course, it's much more ideal for each party to have their own representation so that you can understand the ramifications of everything that you would be signing. And that's why the law is structured the way it is, to to give each party the 
the the opportunity to have their own counsel and to have someone who is dedicated only to their interests and to explain everything appropriately and all the ramifications. Uh, an attorney acting for both parties essentially, whether you want to call it facilitating the process or only drafting the documents, um, in my personal view is treading on, on a very dangerous ground because you, you that attorney will be have to be very, very careful not to ever give more advice to the one party or different advice or separate advice. Otherwise you you may be um you not may you may not be objective. And um you know it's it's a very dangerous situation. So only if it's managed properly and if it's done with, with honesty and in integrity and transparency on the attorney's part can it work and can it um, facilitate quick conclusion. If, however, everyone isn't on the same page as it may be, then this may actually result in a dragging on for much, much longer than a contested divorce would have. So I, I think you must just realize the risks in only appointing one attorney. And what, what um, Lumley was actually wanting to know was how does all of this affect his investment portfolio? Well, in a marriage in community of property, I always explain when, when I um, meet with uh, clients who, who need anti-nuptial contracts drafted just to draw the, the, the line and to create sort of a baseline or a benchmark to which we can compare uh, the options available to them. And essentially, your marriage in community of property, I always say, creates a, a pool between the two of your one indivisible estate in legal language. And within that pool or indivisible legal estate, you pour all your assets and all your liabilities in, both husband and wife. So everything, investments, uh, your pension, your provident funds, your fixed property, your bonds, all of that is pulled together. So unfortunately, unless you you can prove that it was an investment that you had before the marriage started and no one you didn't contribute out of jointly owned funds and all these things which is a very hard onus to bear i'm afraid that all your assets regardless of what type of asset it is will be pooled in the division of the estate so mlamni everything is 50 50 then yeah can i ask just one thing you mm. see the lady i was married to uh, was unemployed and because of the risk you've just outlined about taking uh, one lawyer could i advise uh, or would the legal aid board be able to assist her yes of course they would um so can i go ahead advise her to go and seek aid there yes i i would say that is a much better way forward that each of you has their own attorney and the attorneys can obviously work together and put the agreement together but i think it is very important and, and for the attorney's integrity's sake also it's very important rather to remain only dedicated to one client and not to both sides of the dispute all right. No, thanks a lot, Karen. All the best. Thanks, Mlamli. Thanks for getting through. And I'm All sorry right, to hear yes. about the divorce. Thanks a lot. Good night to you. If you have any questions, the number to call 0892-102010. 0892-102010. Ahmed in Ladysmith. Good evening. Good evening. How are you? Very well, thank you. How are you? And how is your guest? I'm well, thank you. How are you? Yeah, I'm fine. <laughs> how can we help you? It's just that I don't know. I hope you can help me out here. Mm -hmm. uh, we've been working for a motor dealership. 
Yes. And the motor dealership all of a sudden closed. This happened last year. Okay. Right. Now they haven't paid us our salaries up till now. Okay. We took it up with the CCMA, mm-hmm. and then we had uh, what you call the CCMA came down, and we came to an agreement where the guy is supposed to pay us our salaries, which he didn't do up till today. Okay. He breached his contract basically. Okay. Right. Then we were told to do a writ. Yes. Now when we went and did a writ. They send an interpleader, mm-hmm. and on the interpleader, I just realized the other day, I mean, I got back everything from the sheriffs, right? Yes, oh, yes. From the sheriff. I just, the other day, I realized that on the interpleader, they had an affidavit, mm-hmm. which had no date, mm-hmm. which had uh, nobody's name there that signed the affidavit, mm-hmm. just had it signed. Okay. And they haven't paid us our money up till today now. How do I, how do we get our money out? Well, because need- now, what what the original amount works out to close to about thirty five thousand. Mm-hmm. Then it cost me money to uh, give the 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 sheriff some money as well. You know, yes, to, of course. To the rich, not have you. So and, and I believe all this cost gets included in all this. Yes, of course it it does. Um, what you'll have to do is oppose the interpleader and basically then then say that it is defective. An interpleader is usually in order to um, when a, a writ gets issued, it's for the attachment of goods or monies or whatever the case may be, or for fixed property. You you get a a, a writ for fixed property as well. So an interpleader is then basically a document that says that um, that specific item or items are, are not owned by the person who is owing you money. And okay. that's why you can't attach the goods and sell them at an auction. It's, this is just okay. in very oversimplified terms. So if you believe, A, that the contents of the interpleader is inaccurate, fraudulent, or anything along those lines, or fatally defective by the fact that it isn't signed properly, you need to you need to bring an application at court, which unfortunately is probably going to cost you a little bit of money um, if you can't get one of the clerks or someone to assist you with that. Um, they are generally quite helpful, but I'm afraid to say not in this time of the year. So mm-hmm. um, that would be your next step. You, you need to oppose that, and it's usually got a 10-day time frame. Okay. Because what happened here, this, this is the father and son, basically, mm-hmm. right? Now, what the father does, they, the father, he put the company on the son's name, mm-hmm. but he is overall the, the director of the company as well. Mm-hmm. But now, these companies, he just put it on the son's name. Okay. So, I mean, at the end of the day, everything comes to the same yes. uh, pot. So you may in any event have to do what, I don't want to become too technical, but you'll have to maybe pierce the veil, as we say. And and that means essentially to keep the persons or the person behind the business accountable for um, the monies that are owing. So you, you'll probably need some legal assistance. And if you're not employed at the moment, then legal aid is always an avenue to pursue for legal assistance or the uh, the law society can also appoint a, an attorney on a pro bono basis, but you'll have to oppose that interpleader. And if you you say the money isn't where we think it is, then you have to pierce the veil, which is yet another court application. So did you say there was a time limit on this? Yes, a ten I mean, day. When, the, when did this? When did this happen? 
When you just see, this happened basically. It, it, it happened last year. Last year, no, no. It, it's going on on to no, now. No, the interpleader thing well, that you mm. discovered the is incorrect. I only discovered it now. How, how many days last ago? Week. Last week. Okay, so you need to make sure that within the ten days, bearing in mind though that most of our courts are in recess, which means mm. the days don't count until January. But as okay. far as I know, most of our lower courts are only going to recess now this week. Okay, no, I, I, I haven't checked that. You'll have to just check uh, check that for me. But, but basically, don't leave it. Yes. You, tomorrow morning, first thing, you need to go and do something. Otherwise, you're going to run out of time. And then no, you no, have I to bring it to one of my attorneys, attorney friends in Marysville. I've emailed him everything. Fantastic. Then that's the first good step. But he, has he, is he actually moving on it? Is he doing something? I, I, in fact, I would have phoned him. I didn't phone him today. I phone him tomorrow. Yeah, phone, ask him what he's doing. Don't just send it to him. He must actually go to the court or do something with it. Otherwise, you're going to end up running out of time. No, sure, sure. That's how we're first tomorrow morning. Mm. Definitely get moving on that, and then I, I would say just mention to your attorney friend then to um to consider piercing the veil, and and that means that you strip away the the company or the protective shield of the company and you pursue the people behind it. And if if you could prove the connection between the the father and all of that stuff, if you've got proof of that, you could even um you could even consider pursuing him directly. And that's maybe your best chance to actually get your money. Okay. Good luck, Ahmed. Okay. Thanks. Thanks. All the Good best. Night. Bye bye. Right, Lutando in Port Elizabeth. Good evening. Good evening, Karen. Hello. Uh, good evening. It's your guest also. Hi. Hi. The matter that I have actually is that um, uh, last year now I was going through some financial problems, so I applied online for, a, and then I met this company online, which actually traced. It, it, it was able to say that it will get me a loan in any company, even if I'm on a bad debt. Mm-hmm. Right. Mm. And then this company, what it did is that it, it was charging uh, uh, $3.99 either if they found the loan or not. Mm-hmm. Right? So what happened is that now they didn't actually find the loan for me. Mm-hmm. So I just ignored that. So I think it was on time last year. Mm-hmm. Um, I ignored that. And then they said to me that they will actually deduct uh, $4.99 at the end of the month of that month. Uh, I think it was sometime in March. And then what happened is that after that, then this year they contacted me that I owe them money mm-hmm. of about uh, three hundred three hundred three ninety nine. Mm-hmm. And then they actually sent lawyers now, and those lawyers have added their money on that mm-hmm. amount of money. And then this company is wanting that money so that I can pay them back. Mm-hmm. So the question is that. I, do I have any way of disputing this? Because I don't think they actually, I mean, there's nothing that they did for me. I don't know. And unfortunately, I must tell you that this is not the first time I've, I've heard this. I've also represented a few clients with similar situations and, and um, will we'll not name names on air, but I have a suspicion that it's got to do with the same institution. Um, the the problem is that these guys usually activate a debit order or in in some instances they do uh, activate a debit order against your account if they haven't you're very lucky but long story short 
I would recommend that you approach um, the Consumer Commission because this is a breach of the Consumer Protection Act in that a supplier is um, obligated to render a proper uh, high-quality service. So in other words, if your service is to find a loan, then you that is what you are being paid for to do. And if you weren't able to perform that, then in, in terms of the Consumer Protection Act and uh, bodies of other legislation even you haven't performed in in my view not then entitled to to any um uh, remuneration for the service you didn't render or at least a um you know it needs to be of good quality so in terms of the consumer commission should be aware of this institution if you know my my adding one and one and one and, and reaching the answer of two is correct here and and you should at least have have an avenue of an ombud structure which could then resolve this for you. The problem that I worry about here is that there's now lawyers involved mm. and the next minute he's going to end up on a blacklist. And, mm. you know, so you've got to sort this out as soon as possible yes. before they start getting all smart yes. about this and, you know, putting him on a blacklist and he's never going to get finance. Yes, of course. So that is that is very important. You you need to uh, either appoint your own attorney or you you need to approach the Consumer Commission on, on own accord. Tomorrow. But you, you need okay. to make a plan. And I would say um, off the cuff, of course, I haven't looked at these terms and conditions. They usually make you sign um, because mm. this can obviously have a bearing on what I've just said. We'll have You will have to check if there's something in there and, and maybe run it past an attorney to check if something's in there that invalidates the advice I've just given you. Um, but okay. nonetheless, the, the Consumer Commission is a ombud structure, so it doesn't cost you anything. You don't really need an attorney, but you need to make you need to make haste and, and as Karen said, do something about it. Tomorrow. Okay. Thank you. I'll okay, Latanda, tomorrow morning, eh? Yeah? Okay, you. thanks. Good Bye-bye. night to you. Do you want to build a better future for yourself and your country? then apply for an Australia Award. It's an opportunity to advance your career and make a difference. For over 50 years, the Australian Government has offered prestigious scholarships and fellowships to people with the greatest potential to drive economic and social development. As an Australia Awards Scholar, you could gain an internationally recognised qualification from an Australian university and build important links with Australia. The application process is open and transparent, providing equal opportunities regardless of gender, ethnicity or disability. If you want to gain new technical skills in areas such as agriculture and food security, improving the management and governance of the extractive sector and public policy, then apply now to begin studies in Australia from as soon as January 2016. Visit www.australiaawardsafrica.org to learn more. This December, SABC2 will keep viewers entertained with the coolest lineup of movies and dramas for the whole family. So just sit back, relax, and enjoy the most awesome holiday experience. Sure, Solly. Every weekday from 1 p.m. More action, more twists, and more excitement. Have the sum of your life with SABC2. The Law Report with Karen Key. Well, we're coming to the end of the show. We've just got about nine minutes or so left. And we're chatting about 
anything and everything tonight. It's the Law Clinic with my guest, Attorney Nicolene Skuman Lowe, and she's a director of Skuman Law Inc. Attorneys, Conveyances and Notaries Public in their practice here in Cape Town. And uh, we have Abraham on the line from Pretoria. Abraham, good evening. Uh, good evening, ladies. Um, Karen, I just want to know if Nicolene can help me with this one. It will be very short. Mm-hmm. My my parents were um, married in community of property. Yes. My my dad passed on last year. So now we're at the stage of um, the, 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 the 50% of my mom's property um, has been transferred into her name. Okay. Um, I just wanted to know because something, the, the, the amount that the municipality, you know, there's a memo that the municipality must send to you, to the lawyers. Yes. Now, um, that that amount sounds to me too high. What can you advise me? Tell me what is the what is it that need to be be that that, that we have to pay or my mama has to pay up front? Um, because on that on that memo, they mm-hmm. said they, 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 uh, the municipal uh, account is all uh, uh, um, paid up. Yes. Um, but according to them, there is things like water, electricity, and sewage, and rates and tax, and all that that kind of things. That it's about amount of ten thousand two hundred eighty three rand. Can that sure. be right? Well, it depends on which area you located, and in every municipality. Um, we need to distinguish between two things quickly before before I go to to the areas and how they how they regulate these things. Um, firstly, each municipality um, has their own way of determining what we call the municipal value, and that is usually the value that you use when you are administering the deceased estate to indicate in the liquidation and distribution account as the total value of the property divided by two. Okay, so yeah. your municipal valuation is usually the one you use in your liquidation and distribution account. And you, your municipal valuation is linked to your rates amount. Your, it determines your rates amount. And that they use various complicated calculations to reach those valuations and, and they update them every, every couple of months and so on and so forth. So essentially what... Um, uh, one needs to distinguish between the valuation that you'll indicate in the liquidation and distribution account and then, of course, when you are endorsing the title deed, um, in other words, transferring the 50% of the property from your deceased father's name into your mother's name, then you you have to get a rates clearance certificate. And the rates clearance certificate does, in some municipalities, it works a little different in the Western Cape, for example, but they usually make you prepay um, a period of, but some municipalities, three months and other six months um, of your rates, taxes, water, electricity, your utilities. So that's even, what that 10000 could be. Even if, yes, even if your um, rates account is fully serviced, you may face an account like that. If you feel it's inaccurate because I am a conveyancer as well and I have encountered um, calculation errors on the part of council on on various occasions, then you need to go to the finance department at the municipality and basically take all your receipts and your latest rates accounts before you made application for the clearance figures so they can check that they've updated their system with the latest payments because that may cause the variance which makes that amount so high. 
But, but, but can it be possible that we still, because we're still paying, but I, I've, I've paid on, on behalf of my mum, I've mm. paid over that amount already, but we are still paying, which means that... Yes, you have to still pay. And when the transfer goes through, you fill in a refund form and they refund you. It's a silly system, especially in a, a deceased estate setup. Um, but it's it's meant for when property is being transferred from from one person to the next. The current owner needs to keep paying until transfer goes through, and they pay the uh, the rates and taxes in advance. And when the transfer goes through, that which you've double paid essentially, you get back as a refund. So you need to once the transfer has gone through in the deeds office, the endorsement has been done in the deeds office. Your uh, conveyancer should assist you with uh, completing the refund form to get the monies recouped. But when I spoke to the to the lady at the municipality, that it, it is in it is in in the Western Cape. Okay. Uh, um, um, it's in Drakenstein. Okay. So, so the, when I spoke to the lady at the which are working with these things, she said to me, uh, my. Uh, 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 um, mother should have only paid the 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 the, the rates and tax and not that big amount. Okay. And, yeah, and, and 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 what what also happens now? I've paid over the the administration fee and yes. the administration fee display on the account of my mom yes. of September also. Okay. So then more so, I, I think you need to approach the finance department. Remember the the guys who do the rates clearances are in a different department to the guys who make sure that the records are up to date. And the, the thing is, and especially uh, with all due respect to the smaller municipalities in the Western Cape, these guys are not functioning on the same system as the city of Cape Town in the metropole. Yeah. So you, you'd have a... I find, and I've done two transfers of late, which um, uh, their the system is, is, doesn't always update accurately. So you often have variances with those figures. And I do highly recommend that you take all the accounts and your proofs of payment and you get a number of someone, um, in all likelihood you won't get that in December. You'll probably get uh, have more luck in January and then speak to them on the phone if you can't physically go to the office and sit with them and sort it out. Now, um, I'm going to Cape Town in, in January in any case. Great, and, then and if I, you and do I, that. And I spoke to the lady. She said I can come and see her if. Great, and then you just fill yeah. in their refund form and they if, if they've made a mistake, they'll just refund the monies. Ah, uh, okay. It no, shouldn't be an issue. Thank you very much, eh? Okay. Well, Abraham, I best. hope you have a good time in Cape Town yes. over the holidays. Welcome. Uh, Thank you, thank you very much, and thank you very much for this program. Eh? It's, it's only a pleasure. pleasure. Thanks, very Abraham. Thank, thank you. you very much, Thanks. Good bye. night to you. Bye. Well, I'm sure we're going to be welcoming lots of visitors to Cape Town over the yes, festive season. Yes, as always. As, as always. always. And um, it, one of those things, I mean, you, you keep saying everything's closing over Christmas. So what happens in time limits? You said now you mentioned if people are sort of coming up against time limits, they do stop because the courts the, are closed. In, in terms of the courts, yes. The minute okay. your, our courts go into recess and usually our high courts go or higher courts go into recess at a different schedule than the lower courts, it doesn't always coincide. So it's important to go onto the Department of Justice's website and check when your courts are in recess because essentially it puts a, the pause button on any of the time limits. Well, so the good because, I mean, one whatever. thing Michael Bagram often talks about are time limits. They're mm. how important time limits 
limits are. Of course. And it's nice to know that if the courts are closed, that we aren't going to get penalized for that. No, of course not. So there is, that's kind of at halt. But that, that doesn't give you an excuse not to go tomorrow if you need to do. I always have this thing, go tomorrow. Don't yes. leave it till next week. Definitely. Because then it's no. late. At least go and yeah. get the information. Make sure you know when the time limits are going to expire if they are not expiring right now. Mm. And, and don't leave it up to chance. Don't assume. <laughs> no, because we've often had emails to the show. Four years ago, this yeah. and, and Michael sits here and says, "Um, it's just so t- it's too late. It's just yeah, too it's late. Awful if there's a problem, happens. sort it out tomorrow. Yes, always tomorrow. I Don't love that. Don't procrastinate. Don't procrastinate tomorrow. <laughs> so, but at least now we know if if you have something that's coming up for a time deadline now over the holidays and the courts have closed for the holidays." You're not going to be penalized. Yeah. The clock stops. It starts again when they come back. So yes. make sure you know what date that is. Yes. So you don't think in the middle of January, I wonder if they're open now, and then and your time has run out. Exactly. So, so yeah. rather know what you have to do and by when yeah. and plan it accordingly. Make sure your attorney is back from holiday and all those things. Yeah, it's a case of taking <laughs> responsibility here. Definitely. Well, my thanks once again this evening to Nicolene Skuman Lowe. She's a director of Skuman Law Inc. Attorneys, Conveyances and Notaries, public practicing here in Cape Town. And she's been my guest on tonight's edition of the Law Report program. Nicolene, once again, thank you so much for being here. Thank you for having me and thank you for a wonderful year with wonderful yes, shows. And um, I'm, take it, we're going to have you back next year. Of course. Wonderful. <laughs> so there's a little bit of a change in January because mm. I will be away the first week. So Michael Bagram will be on the second Monday in January and Nicolene will be the third. Great. So, but we'll keep you up to date with that nearer the time. Great. As you all know, the Law Report is on the air on SAFM every Monday evening between 9 and 10. And just remember the available documents on Facebook, Law on SAFM, or email me on law at safm.co.za. And tomorrow night I'll be back with you with Health Matters, the phone-in, and we'll be focusing on depression with Dr. France Korb. So join me then. Stephen Kirk is up now with some nighttime music. Hello, Stephen.